Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We got a lot of questions going into this college football season. Where's Texas at? Is Texas back? Is Texas not back? What about Georgia? Yeah, he did it with Stetson Bennett, but there's another evolution that I think they need to go to to get three in a row. Got a lot of questions. It's about time for some answers. We are 10 days away from the beautiful thing that is the college football season. It's Wednesday, August 16th, 2023. Welcome into the hard count, the People's College Football Show. Everything that you love about this sport, we incorporate that and we celebrate that right here every single day, three times a week live in living color as we are right now, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern. We're so glad you're here. You have a lot on your plate. You got a lot going on. A lot of y'all are getting back to school. We got a pretty large college audience. So shout out to y'all, whether you're moving into the dorm, maybe a new apartment in, in college town, wherever you're at, we appreciate y'all locking in. Also, maybe you're at your job. Maybe you're listening during your lunch break. However you listen, however you consume this show, we're glad to have you here. All right, a lot going on. Put it up for a second. We're just talk, talking college football for the next hour or so. We got fall camp intel to dive into. A couple more scrimmages that we have to unpack. I believe Tennessee is actually scrimmaging as we speak right now. We'll unpack the latest from Knoxville. We're also going to talk a little bit about what's going on in Manhattan. Not, not the big album, talking about the little apple, talking Manhattan, Kansas. What's going on there? What's the latest fall camp intel wise over there? As I mentioned before, there's a lot of questions that need answers, and it's always a tricky situation to try and get a definitive answer on some of these things. But I think for the questions that we have set before us, we're going to get a solid answer. And that'll make more sense when we unpack it. But th- there's a couple of questions that I think we uh we got to kind of unpack together as a as a group here. Also quarterback battles it's getting close to that time if you're going to have a starter for game one the clock is ticking it's about that time to sort of sort out your depth chart not just the quarterback position but we're going to focus on the quarterback position because there is several high profile battles going on Auburn's one of them Ohio State I mean the history they've had at that position recently under Ryan Day whether it's Devin Brown or Kyle McCord I mean there's going to be a lot of pressure on that individual speaking of pressure What's going on in Tuscaloosa, Alabama? Jalen Milrow, Ty Simpson, Tyler Buckner. Starting for Saban is not an easy task, so where do things stand right now? We'll break that down for y'all. Also, if you're following me on Twitter, which we recommended you do yesterday during the live show, I said we incorporate y'all as much as possible into the show. So we got off the air, jumped to the Twitter sphere, and I'm still calling it Twitter. I'm not calling it X until something changes. And I just said, what are going to be the most surprising headlines in 2023 an exercise we've done before, but y'all continue to just knock that out of the park. So we're going to break that down as well and unpack some of those headlines. Can't waste too much more time. We got a lot to jump into. We're glad you're here. Let's get after it, baby. Fall Camp Intel is continuing to roll right along as we are 10 days away from the college football season. A lot of these teams are set to play in just over two weeks. So what's the latest from these different camps? Well, Miami is in a fascinating position because if you remember correctly, Mario Cristobal walks in there. And they had two different coordinators. They had Kevin Steele. They had Josh Gaddis. Kevin Steele ends up going to Bama. 
Josh Gaddis, hey, sorry, this isn't really going to work. It's not you, it's me kind of thing. Well, actually, it might be you, but we're not really going to sort that out. So you got two coordinators. You got Shannon Dawson calling the offense. You got Lance Guidry calling the defense. Now, offensively, they love where they stand right now. Tyler Van Dyke, going into last season, there was talk about him potentially going pro after last season and being a first-round pick and all the great things he did in 2021. And then he gets dinged up, doesn't have a lot of help around him. The offensive line is kind of lackluster. And they are just flying under the radar right now in Coral Gables, or at the very least, Tyler Van Dyke is. They feel like he is back, is is what I was told, talking to people close to that operation. They feel like this system for him is much more playing to his skill set than the last one was. Shannon Dawson kind of doing a a power spread offense kind of thing. They're going to do the air raid gets thrown around a lot when you talk about Shannon Dawson. I think it'll be a little bit more balanced than that. I think they'll run the football as well. They think it's going to complement his skill set much more, and they feel like he is going to be, one, more healthier than last year, and two, be better protected because of who they have on the offensive line. Javion Cohen transfer from Alabama he's going to play for them on the offensive line they love where they stand at center right now with UCF transfer Matt Lee they just feel like as a whole they're in a much better jumping off point because last year they averaged 19 points a game 19 points a game with a sack rate of eight percent that's one of the worst in the country so Tyler Van Dyke one the offense wasn't scoring two he wasn't getting protected so they feel like both those situations have been upgraded from a system and a personnel standpoint on the O-line they feel much better about where they stand right now. The running back room they're excited about. Mark Fletcher, the freshman, is a name that you hear a lot talking to people close to that program. Ajay Allen is a transfer from Nebraska. He had a really strong scrimmage, had a couple of explosive runs. They like where they stand in that running back room, having a little bit of depth. Because last year, they didn't really run the football that effectively either. So being able to move the line of scrimmage in the run game and then protect TVD in the pass game, if they can be balanced like Shannon Dawson, I believe, wants to be, There's going to be room for better things to happen in Coral Gables. Defensively, still kind of putting it together. Nigel Kelly is a name that you hear a lot. And from what I was told, he is going to have every opportunity to be that guy on the defensive line for the Miami Hurricanes. They love his skill set. They want to see him go and do it in a game, though. At the safety position, you feel pretty good about where you stand with Cam Kitchens and James Williams. James Williams, I mean, if y'all have seen him play, that is a big human being. He is a thumper in the run game. They're going to allow him to go and play in the box and let him cut it loose a little bit. The overall feeling in Coral Gables is they're going to be much better than last year. Now, what does much better equate to from a wins losses standpoint? Is is much better going to be eight, nine wins? Is much better seven wins? Remains to be seen. But overall, they feel like things are steadily heading in the right direction under Mario Cristobal. And from from what I can gather, it feels like last year they were still sort of in the negative in Mario Cristobal's first year bringing the new staff and all that. This year, yes, just have some, some new pieces on the staff, but I feel like they think they're more in a neutral standpoint right now when it comes to where they stand right now at Miami. So all in all, good things. Go and get a membership at Canesport because they're going to keep you in the know. Gary Freeman and company doing a phenomenal job over there. Speaking of a site at On3 with Miami, another site at On3 is VolQuest, and they cover Tennessee better than anybody else. And talked to some folks over there, and they had a rainy scrimmage not too long ago. And so when you have a lot of rain on the field, and from what I was told, the field was essentially like underwater when they took the practice field. That can make for some tricky situations, especially if you have your race horses at the wide receiver position. You don't really want to risk them turning an ankle or 
taking a, a funny cut and tweaking a knee. So for the most part, they held a lot of their top guys out. Even so, it sounded like Joe Milton had a really good scrimmage. Wasn't throwing to a lot of the top wide receivers, like I mentioned. But they said he looks solid. We'll talk more about the quarterback room in just a second. The story of the day from that scrimmage, though, was that the defense actually won the day. Now, some of that you say, okay, conditions probably play to their strengths. It's not going to be that easy to throw the ball around the yard when it feels like a medicine ball and it's waterlogged and all that. So that's fair. But I think if you're a Tennessee fan, this is music to your ears that, okay, the defense is, is starting to throw some punches back at the offense. It's not uncommon for the defense to be a step ahead of the offense at this point in fall camp because you, you kind of have to get more things right offensively, assignment-wise, for it all to work together, whereas defensively you can kind of hide some things. And all I'm saying is defensively they like where they're at right now. The secondary is going to be what everybody talks about going into this coming season. Still a little bit of wait and see, right? I mean, you still got to see it in a real game scenario, but they feel like they're at a much better spot just because of the experience they have. I mean, you have guys that have had real in-game experience that are going to play for you again this year. Whereas last year, I don't know if you felt as good about your depth. You got Wesley Walker, who's probably going to start at safety, Jalen McCullough, Danico Slaughter, like guys that have played some real football, some meaningful minutes, to quote Rusty Mansell. They like where they stand right there. They think they're going to be improved. The front seven, they're really excited about. They feel like they are in a place to kind of pick up where they left off last season. Now back to the offensive side of the ball. The offensive line, when you talk to people close to Tennessee, gets the majority of the buzz right now they they have a battle going on at that other tackle position John Campbell is going to in all likelihood hold it down at the left tackle spot the transfer from Miami so you had Gerald Mincy and Jeremiah Crawford starting at or not starting but competing at that position a year ago now they're rotating over to the other side of the field to the other tackle spot and they're going to battle it out so that'll be interesting to see where they stand still wait in C mode for the left guard spot and I, I cannot stress this enough, it is imperative that they have the offensive line position, especially internally, the offensive line unit rather, really set to how they like it. Because Tennessee last year, they were a run-first football team. And y'all that have watched the show for any length of time, you, you know that. You know how we feel about Tennessee. Yes, Jalen Hyatt had a couple of awesome highlight reel plays. Yes, he put up big numbers. Yes, Henry Hooker threw it all around the yard. But they were able to do that because of the pressure they put on defenses in the run game so for this offensive line to have the success they had last year is going to be extremely important and they're sorting that out right now Jalen Wright running back for them had a good day said he ran over a guy according to people that I talked to I believe there's also a clip out on social media always good to see the running backs running hard especially at this point in fall camp like to see him get a little bit of contact courage there so that's a good sign the quarterback room is really as advertised so far right now. I mean, Joe Milton is going to be your guy. There's no mistake about it. He is the leader in that locker room. He's the leader of that football team. And right now, he looks the part. Someone that I talked to said, from what they've been able to see at open practices, which again is probably routes on air and you're kind of just going through warmups and whatnot in Indy, they said they haven't seen the ball touch the ground that he's thrown. So take of that as you will. I think that's a good sign that Joe Milton hasn't had any noticeable hiccups to this point in fall camp. Then Nico... Obviously, the number one player for us here at On3 this last cycle, you see flashes of that. You see why he was the number one player in the country in 2023. But even so, you also understand, okay, he's a true freshman. So you see the talent, you see the ability, you see the flashes, but you also see, okay, he's still learning an offensive playbook at the collegiate level. He's still getting comfortable in Knoxville. So 
all in all, it's pretty much what you would expect when it comes to that quarterback room. But from what I can tell at this point, all of those storylines are probably right in line with what you would expect as a Tennessee Volunteer fan based on what's going on right now in Knoxville. Now let's go ahead and show some attention to Kansas State. I had some of y'all get at me on Twitter and say, J.D., you only talk about Tennessee, you only talk about Alabama, only talk about Georgia. We're talking about Kansas State right now. And if you want to stay in the know with Kansas State, go get a membership at K-State Online or Kansas State on 3 site. Kansas State won the Big 12 last year. And everybody's talking about Texas and Oklahoma, and like, that's fine. But Kansas State won the Big 12 last year, and they bring back the quarterback that got it done for them. Now you lose Deuce Vaughn, so I don't pretend that that's just going to be an easy piece to replace. But they feel really good about Will Howard right now. They love his confidence from a couple of different vantage points. One, just the confidence in what he's seeing on the field. They said he, he has a better grasp for what he's looking at when he looks at a defense it's kind of slowing down for him it sounds like on the other side of that he has the confidence to bounce back from negative plays and that's enormous for a quarterback because when I see a turnover or I see a negative play and I'm on the offensive side of the ball I look right to the quarterback hey quarterback how do we feel about this if you're not nervous I'm not nervous it's kind of similar to to the head coach you go as that individual goes and so for Will Howard to kind of have that steady hand right now kind of taking that next step it sounds like as a leader because remember, it was him and Adrian Martinez last year. For him to be the guy this year and for him to be embracing that sounds like good news so far for the good people in Manhattan, Kansas. Not New York, Manhattan, Kansas. The little apple. We love it. Wide receiver room getting a lot of buzz. Sounds like it's the position group that's really stood out this past fall camp or this fall camp right now. And one individual they love is Keegan Johnson, transfer wide receiver from Iowa. And they just like what he brings to the table from a skill set standpoint, really good speed, getting out of breaks. They're excited about him. Also, Phillip Brooks, if you're a K-State fan, you already know about him, but he has just been the epitome of Mr. Consistent, over 500 yards receiving the last two seasons. Kansas State hasn't really been a pass-heavy offense. I don't expect that to change. They threw the ball right around 42% of the time last year, which is definitely on the lower end across the country. But even so, keep an eye on how this wide receiver room develops because the way that they speak about them, Kansas State's going to run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, and then maybe they hit you over the top with a pass play. But I think you could also see them sprinkling a touch more of that pass game with an experienced quarterback like Will Howard and no more Deuce Vaughn. And oh, by the way, you have Colin Klein calling the offense. And Colin Klein, if y'all remember, he was a quarterback at Kansas State. So quarterbacks, hey, like to throw the ball. No shame in that. Defensively, there is a couple of, of notes there. Uso Seyumala. So close. I practiced it a couple times. Uso Seyumalu. It's a nose guard. He is 340 pounds, and he is a force in the middle for Kansas State. Colin Klein said he has just been a pain to have to practice against. And to have a big body like that in the middle... In the Big 12, that's going to be extremely important for them. So you're encouraged about the way that he has progressed so far this fall camp. Also, the secondary. Will Lee is a transfer from the community college level from Iowa Western. was one of the top JUCO prospects. And he is right in line with what you would expect with a modern cornerback in college football. Really good length is about 6'2". As a whole, they just love the length in the secondary altogether. They feel like that's going to make it difficult on opposing offenses to be able to get too many pass windows on them. So K-State, defending Big 12 champs, nobody's really talking about them, but they're rolling right along in fall camp. They like where they stand. Let's go back to the SEC. Ole Miss, and 
Ole Miss Spirit is where you can keep up with all the intel there when it comes to fall camp. They had a scrimmage, and they feel like the defense won the day. You're noticing a theme here. Defense is winning a lot of the early scrimmages. As the offense is still getting through their install, getting through the personnel groupings. That's okay. I wouldn't panic, but I think that's good news if you're keeping track of things at Ole Miss. Pete Golding's defense, remember, is a new D.C. coming from Alabama, now calling the defense for Lane Kiffin. His strategy is we're going to be aggressive defensively. We're going to make it a priority to stop the run. In the pass game, we're trying to get to the quarterback. We are trying to wreak havoc. We're trying to be disruptive. That is the name of the game for Pete Golding. Sounds like they did that in this scrimmage. From what I heard, they had Quinshawn Judkins, who for a lot of people's money is the best running back in the country, held him to nine yards on 10 carries. I don't think that says a lot about Quinshawn Judkins. I think it says more about where this Ole Miss defense is at right now. That's a very encouraging sign. Defensive end Cedric Johnson, three tackles, a quarterback sack. He spoke really highly about where the defense is at right now and how they're running things. Created three interceptions. Now, the good news for Ole Miss fans across this quarterback room, it wasn't like one guy just had a bad day. You had one interception for Austin Simmons, one for Spencer Sanders, one for Jackson Dart. Jackson Dart, it sounds like right now, running with the ones. Now, Spencer Sanders getting some run with the ones and the twos. I expect Spencer Sanders, it's just my feel, I don't have any intel here. I expect Spencer Sanders to have a role in some way, shape, or form. Too good of an athlete. They want to run the football at Ole Miss. And and with what they do in that RPO scheme, I would expect him to have some packages. But it really sounds like Jackson Dart is, is holding this job down. So we'll keep our ear to the ground there for the intel. But they really like where they stand with that quarterback room from a depth standpoint, if nothing else. Austin Simmons, if you remember correctly, reclassified and then went to Ole Miss, which was a big get for Lane Kiffin. So they got him in that quarterback room along with Walker Howard. But the running back room at Ole Miss, you got Quinshawn Judkins, who is a known commodity. You got Ulysses Bentley, a little bit dinged up during fall camp. And you got Jam Griffin, the transfer from Oregon State. So they got some depth in this running back room, and that's going to be important for Ole Miss because we've said it a lot on here, they like to pound the rock. That is a priority for them. 48 carries a game in 2022. It's good for top five in the country. If you want to run the football at that kind of clip, you got to have some fresh legs to go the length of the season, especially the length of the season in the SEC. So for Ole Miss, I think the story there is the defense and the way they're progressing, and then we'll keep an eye on where things stand in that pecking order with Jackson Dart and Spencer Sanders and the rest of the cast of characters they got in that quarterback room in Oxford. So rolling right along, fall camp. Now, again, a couple of these teams are going to, not these teams specifically, but a lot of teams are playing week zero. For the most part, though, these teams will have at least one more scrimmage, and then you're kind of getting down to, okay, where's our depth chart stand? Where are we as a whole? Where, you know, Who's going to be the starting quarterback? Who's going to be the starting left guard? Like You start to kind of sort these things out. So one more scrimmage that we'll get through here, and we'll have a little bit more of a feel for where they stand depth-wise. But overall, man, 10 days till college football for a lot of these teams, 17 days till they get it rolling, which we love to see, man. We love to see that college football is once again taking center stage. We've had a long summer where you're talking NBA. People are talking Major League Baseball. People are talking this. People are talking that. You know that if you've been tuned into this show, we talk only college football all year round. The only thing we talk about, only thing we care about. So we're glad to have you here. And if you're new, make sure you're subscribed. We are very grateful to have you at the party. Now, this party, the hard count, is brought to you by the good people over at Bird Dogs. Now, Bird Dogs is phenomenal in every sense of the word. And the reason why I love Bird Dogs is the shorts themselves serve two elite purposes that are important for me as a married man. Got to be life approved 
got to be wife approved. Life approved, they got to be comfortable, okay? I got to be able to walk outside in Nashville, Tennessee when it's 90 degrees this past weekend and feel good. I don't want to be constricted with this like weird cotton fabric that's holding me back. Like I want to be able to move around, have good ventilation, you know, some good airflow overall. We're keeping ourselves cool, but also got to be wife approved. Like I was mentioning, I can't walk out there looking like a clown. Just can't happen. Can't happen, won't happen. I promise you my wife will not let it happen. So to be able to check both these boxes, bird dogs knocking out of the park, make sure you get yourself a pair, whether you want to work out, whether you want to go out to dinner, like they serve a lot of purposes. So make sure you're locked in with bird dogs. When you order something off birddogs.com, here's the deal. Use promo code JD. You get yourself a nice little bird dogs hat, just like the shorts, really breathable. I've had buddies that say they love playing golf in it. Very cool. Make sure you get locked in with bird dogs. They'll take care of you. Won't want to take them off. So we appreciate bird dogs bringing this to y'all and uh, bringing this to us, really. For the people, by the people. We appreciate bird dogs. Now, college football is always interesting because we go into the season with a number of questions, with a number of just insecurities, concerns, whatever kind of label you want to put to it. We have questions and we don't always get the answers once the dust settles. But for a couple of these teams, I think we are going to get some answers. I think we are going to actually get some definitive statements on where these teams are at. And a lot of these are going to determine the college football playoff race, to be real with you. And one of those teams that I think is very much in the mix for the college football playoff is the LSU Tigers. And my question for LSU that I think we will get an answer to by season's end, are they at cruising altitude? Is LSU really already arrived under Brian Kelly? Because last year was sensational. The last thing I want to do is take anything away from what Brian Kelly did last year in Baton Rouge. It was nothing short of phenomenal. Beat Alabama. Had the gumption to go for two and, and end the game and, and not go to overtime. He said, I want to win this right now. I mean, really has installed a culture there, or is installing a culture rather, that is going to do a lot of good things for a long time for the Tigers. At the exact same time, y'all that have watched the show, you know my concern. Consistency is the key for LSU. Last year, four games that were determined by one score. LSU went three and one. Now, the question I have there is, was that a bounce of the ball that just kind of fell LSU's way and then we turn back the tape this coming season and then things go differently and you go one and three there? Or is that the baseline for where they were at year one? Because I think a lot of people in Baton Rouge, and it's fair to believe this, believe that now they have arrived to a certain level with Brian Kelly and they're just going to keep building from there. There were a lot of games, like I just told you, a lot of games that were very, very close that LSU could very well have lost if they hadn't made the plays they did. Now, you know, we'll never know. We're always going to have to wonder that about last year. But this coming season, I think we're going to get a very good gauge for where LSU is at. And I don't want to make, I, I want to make sure we don't define this answer by a wins-loss perspective. Because LSU could win nine games and I don't think any less of Brian Kelly, and I don't think any less of LSU, even though they lost one more game than they did a season ago. Like, I, I wouldn't be overly concerned about that. The way that I'm defining this answer is, how do they look? Like, we, we got to kind of trust our eyes here. Do they beat the teams they're supposed to beat how they're supposed to beat them? Or is it you roll out there the last week of the season and lose Texas A&M the way that you lost to them? LSU had no business losing Texas A&M that way. We all understand that. LSU really had no business messing around with Auburn for the first half of last year either. LSU, I don't think, is that much worse than Tennessee was, than Tennessee, than the game indicated they were last year. Like, 
See where I'm going with this? I'm curious if, if LSU has taken that next step and if they're able to just keep on building. Now, if they do kind of become a team that's at cruising altitude and they're a team that plays for the, the SEC yet again in 2023, then look out. Because I do think it's just a matter of time for Brian Kelly. Like, I think once they reach cruising altitude, whether it's this year or next year, like, that machine, that Death Star will be fully operational, and that's scary for the rest of college football. Because you have an elite head coach in Brian Kelly, one of the best co coaches in college football, one of the best in the game. You have an administration and a support system in Baton Rouge that is pushing the needle forward at LSU. They are aligned, and they're giving him everything he needs to succeed. One of the reasons why Brian Kelly came to LSU and then you are surrounded by a hotbed of some of the best talent in the country that LSU and Brian Kelly have proven they're going to take advantage of. I'm not talking about the portal. I'm talking about what they do at the high school level. Had a top five class last year, according to the on three industry team ranking. So LSU is rolling, but at what degree are they really just cruising right now and they've arrived at this level? Or is it, hey, we're still building. We're still solidifying this. Long term, they're going to be great. My question for 2023, though, are they at cruising altitude? I think we'll find out, and I think we'll have to trust our eyes to figure out the answer. My question for USC is probably the same as everybody else's. What's up with the defense? And you're going to get the common phrase thrown out there. Well, if the defense can be this much better, they'll win the national championship. And like, yeah, we've, we've talked about that on here. We've talked about the need for improvement on defense. My question isn't, will the defense improve? That'll answer itself. My question is, what's the problem at USC? What's the problem defensively? Is it Alex Grinch? Or is it the personnel? Because last year, I think you could have sold me on the personnel. Last year, I think you could have told me, hey, they don't have the guys they need, especially in that front seven, to compete for the national title and compete for winning the college, excuse me, compete for the Pac-12, to compete for the Pac-12 and beat a team like Utah, who is so stout in the trenches. I think you could have sold me on that. This coming season, though, with what they did through the portal, the guys they went and acquired on the defensive line, if they have those same kind of results they had last year, they miss 150-plus tackles, they allow 160 yards rushing a game, allow 30 points a game. Like At that point, I don't know that I have questions about Barry Alexander, Anthony Lucas, Jack Sullivan, Mason Cobb. Like I don't think I question those guys as much as I look and say, okay, we have new personnel, but we have the same result. What does that tell you? Who does the blame then point to? If you have two different classes failing, you blame the teacher. There's no way that all these kids are failing the same test. And so I think if you're not getting the same results, or if you're not getting the results you want, rather, in Los Angeles this coming season, I think the finger points right back at Alex Grinch. And if this does happen, and I'm not going to sit here and call for somebody's job, I think that's inappropriate, and we don't really do that on this show, but I think if that does happen, and if you do see the same results defensively with a brand new set of personnel via the portal, I think there will be some kind of staff changes. Because Lincoln Riley's offense is going to be too good. Caleb Williams is going to be phenomenal this coming season, but even past him, they're still going to be, I would imagine, really good if we're trusting history with Lincoln Riley. So what's the problem? Is it Alex Green? Like all those things I just mentioned, that has created an expectation in Clemson, South Carolina, which is a positive thing. You want to have high expectations. You want to have standards. And that's produced successful results. But what they have in the ACC this coming season is really interesting because you have Clemson's way of doing things, not really going to the portal. And then you have Mike Norvell on the other side of things at Florida State, who has, by necessity, taken two separate classes via the portal, 
of double-digit transfers. So you have two polar opposite put-together kind of teams that are expected to compete for the ACC this coming season. Now, something could happen where North Carolina goes out and wins the ACC, and maybe this conversation is a little bit different. But with those two teams, I mean, they're going to get to play each other in week four. So at the very least, we'll get a sample size for this in week four. And I will have a hard time believing we won't get this matchup yet again in the ACC title game. But put yourself in the situation of if Clemson were to lose the ACC title to a team like Florida State, think about how that conversation would go. I think it'd be very difficult to not go right away to where Clemson's weaknesses were and say, man, you just weren't good enough at insert your position here. And you say, well, you know, we just kind of had who we had. The other person says, well, why didn't you go to the portal? Why didn't you go and get somebody to address that? If you knew it was an issue, why didn't you get better there? You say, well, we don't really do that here. We, we don't really, you know, it's not really our style. You know, Dabo's way, kind of our way of doing things. It is what it is. You know, it's just kind of our Clemson way. And the other person says, well, Florida State did it. Florida State had a whole team put together of a lot of transfers. I mean, heck, Jordan Travis has been there for a minute, but Jordan, Tra- Jordan Travis was a transfer from Louisville to Florida State. Like, they've kind of built this team via the transfer portal. I think it would, it would really sting if you hurt yourself by not utilizing a tool of college football that Florida State has utilized to the nth degree. I think that would sting a little bit, and I think the questions you have to answer after that kind of situation happening would be a little bit tricky and uncomfortable. Now, again, hear me loud and clear. No questions about Dabo Sweeney. I have no questions about him as a head coach. The question would be, at what point do you start to adapt and say we can't hurt ourselves by not using this tool? Now, if they win the ACC, I mean... It's got to be the ultimate feel of validation for Dabo Sweeney to be able to puff out your chest and say, this is, this is what new college football is, going to the portal, doing all these things to get extra players to add and give yourself the best chance on, on your roster. That's great. We don't do that. And look at what we did. That would be a very gratifying feeling, I would have to imagine, for Dabo Sweeney and the rest of Clemson, South Carolina. So how does it work? And to what degree does it work? I think based on how they play against Florida State. And if we get a rematch... It's going to tell us a lot. Now, the next question is something that I think a lot of people kind of ask every single year. And I'm not talking about is Texas back. We'll talk about that here in a second, actually. What is the the culture like at Texas? Do they have a winning culture in Austin? Now, hear me very clearly. I'm not saying do they win the Big 12. I'm talking about how do they look. Culture, because culture tells you a lot. If you, I mean, you can't necessarily look at it in the stat sheet, but you can watch a game and say, yep, good culture, bad culture, by how you respond to adverse situations, how you play with the lead. And that's where I want to hone in on with Texas. Texas has lost the second half under Steve Sarkeesian, eight of their 12 losses in the Steve Sarkeesian era. That's not good. A, a handful of those are blown leads from the first half. They actually even were able to beat Kansas State this past season, and they mess around with that lead too and, and kind of let their lead leak a little bit there. So for Texas, do, do you have a consistent product? How often have we seen Texas look great against one team, and then a couple weeks later, they're in a dogfight with a team they have no business being in a dogfight with? Alabama game is a perfect example. Go back and forth with Bama, and then you play Texas Tech, you lose Texas Tech. And I know Quinn Ewers didn't play in that game. I understand that. So the part of that isn't fair. But even in the Alabama game, Hudson Card, man, he fought tooth and nail and kept them in that game. 
they found a way to stay in that game with Hudson Card at quarterback. If you're looking too closely at that game specifically, you're missing the point here. The point being, for Texas, do they play the same regardless of competition this coming season? The other part of that, how do they play with a lead? Do we see a team that has blood in the water and they start to, I mean, frenzy, and then they start to just finish the deal and they drive through the finish line? Or is it they get a lead, kind of just are happy to play the next two quarters, see what happens, throw the ball around, and then you have a dogfight in the fourth quarter? Texas is good enough talent-wise to win the Big 12 this year. Period. The end. Do they have the culture to be consistent enough to win the Big 12 is my big question. And they can have a winning culture and be 9-3. and three. I want to make sure that's clear. They, they could have a winning culture and still not win the Big 12. But in year three, there's no longer the excuse of, oh, well, this is old Texas. Oh, these aren't really our guys. No, no, no. In year three, you've now been with the same staff for three years, meaning the standard is crystal clear. And if you can't create buy-in in a three-year period, I wonder if that's ever going to happen. I'm not calling for Sark's job. I'm not saying he's fired by the end of 2023 if they don't win the Big 12 or they don't have a winning culture. But I'm just saying I have real concerns about how they look culturally if they can't look improved and look solidified in that department in the 2023 season in your third year under Steve Sarkeesian. Now, one team that absolutely has a winning culture and has had a winning culture the last two seasons, and they got two national titles to show for it, the Georgia Bulldogs. But the question for Georgia, do they take that next step? And I'm not talking about next step in terms of winning a third national title. I'm talking about do they take the next step as a team in a really what I mean they're in a dynastic run right now trying to win the third in a row. The next evolution for Georgia is going to be evolving and adapting with different personnel. Kirby Smart, the best head coach in college football. I cannot stress that enough. That is the truth. Best head coach in college football right now. I didn't say greatest of all time. I didn't say he's better than Nick Saban. You compare resumes. I'm saying right now, Kirby Smart and Georgia are on top and they got two national titles to prove it. But at the exact same time, both those national titles, Kirby Smart won with Todd Munkin. Both those national titles, Kirby Smart won with who playing quarterback? Stetson Bennett. Say what you want about Stetson Bennett in 2021. He absolutely went bananas in 2022 and was the reason why they won a lot of those football games, namely the game against Ohio State that pushed them to the national championship. So I'm not saying they can't do it. I'm saying in order to evolve and and get into that area that I think we saw Alabama in not that long ago, this is the next step. This is the next part of it. Because when you have sustained success, one, you just have to have other players graduate and have players go to the league like that's a benefit and that's something you can use in the recruiting trail and Georgia has done that but even more importantly and and potentially you know more impactfully different organizations see what you have on your staff and they want to bottle it up and take it for themselves good for the NFL taking Todd Munkin and saying we want you to be a coordinator that's awesome but now the challenge becomes okay how do you reload how do you evolve how do you adapt Can you take that next evolution of a team that is sustaining success in a dynastic fashion? That is my question. I think they will, to be 100% clear. I mean, y'all that have watched this show, I picked Georgia to win the national title again this coming season, so I think they'll do it, but that's going to be how they do it. It's an evolution thing now, and I promise you, if they were to win it this coming season, or even regardless of that going forward for Kirby Smart, they are now going to be 
a poaching ground for a lot of different, either it's college football teams or NFL organizations that want their coaching staff. And Saban did it for a long time. He's doing it with Kirby Smart as his DC. He's doing it with Steve Sarkeesian as his OC. He's doing it with different quarterbacks. Like every single year, it felt like it was a musical chairs of who was the OC and who was the DC and who was the quarterback. And year after year, it just really didn't matter because Alabama and Saban continued to roll along. I think that's what Kirby and company are in the midst of right now. I think they'll do it, but that's the challenge. And that's the question that we will get answered in 2023. So I can't wait, man. I mean, there's a lot of questions being asked right now. It's a beautiful time to ask questions and wonder and ponder and, and, you know, throw out different scenarios. But we're about to get real answers here in the college football season in 2023. And I, for one, can't wait. I think it's going to be absolutely phenomenal. Now, if you're not following me on the social media channels, that's at J.D. Piquel on Twitter and at J.D. Piquel on Instagram. Have a little something for y'all on there as soon as we get off the air, actually. So I would encourage you to make sure you're following me on Twitter. But one of the other reasons to follow me on Twitter is because we try to involve y'all again as much as possible in the show. Got off the air yesterday, said I want to hear from the people. I want to know what their most surprising headlines are going to be for 2023. Something we've done before, something that y'all continue to knock out of the park. So if it ain't broke, it, we're not going to fix it. That's for sure. And so to, without further ado, I mean, let's get into some of your answers. We got Jesse hitting us up and he says, Florida is going to beat Tennessee while hosting college game day. Well, y'all that watch the show, you know, I love me some college game day now. That's like the gun that starts our college football Saturday. That's, that's, that's the starting gun. That's the sound. But for game day to be in Gainesville... Florida has to beat Utah, all right? So in this situation, we're going to say that Florida did beat Utah, so you probably feel pretty good about where things are at offensively. You feel pretty good about Graham Mertz. You got one solid showing on the road from him. But if they were to beat Tennessee in the swamp, I don't think this is a Graham Mertz kind of special. I think this is an Austin Armstrong kind of special because that would probably mean that they forced turnovers. It would probably mean they got to Joe Milton probably mean that they forced him off his launching point and made him uncomfortable throughout the duration of the afternoon. And by nature of doing that, they were then able to create favorable situations for their offense. They didn't, they didn't ask the offense to match scores with Tennessee. They didn't ask Graham Merch to go out there and hang 30 on the Vols. They were able to kind of dictate tempo, play their style of game, get the crowd into it, which is going to be paramount for that game. We'll talk about it when it gets here. But people would really need to start talking about Billy Napier a little bit differently. There's been a lot of Billy Napier slander this past offseason. I don't really know why. I mean, they won six football games. It's not amazing, but it's also his first year taking over a team that wasn't his before that. So he's kind of dealing with a roster that's not his. So you'd have to, I think, owe Billy Napier an apology if they beat Tennessee, regardless, because I don't think anybody is picking them at this point in time to beat Tennessee. But my question actually goes to the other side of things in this one. Good for Florida. How do they do the rest of the year? We'll see. You probably feel pretty good about where they stand. Like I said, Billy Napier, I think you probably put some respect on his name. And all those people saying recruits are going to flip and not stick. Like, I mean, this is a pretty appealing thing you can package up and tell recruits, hey, come be a part of what we're doing in Gainesville. But going back to Tennessee, my question is, do they have something that's a real issue? Like, hey, check engine light. That's on. We got to take a look under the hood here and see what's going on. We got a real structural issue going on with this team, whether it's what we got defensively, whether it's we can't run the football offensively, we got problems on the offensive line, something we felt good about going into the year we now no longer feel good about, or is it something where, hey, just a bad day? 
And that happens in college football. I mean, it's 18 to 22-year-olds. There is a high degree of variance, and that's why we love the sport, because anything can happen. Is it we just got to hit the refresh button, lost to a team in a raucous environment, we're going to be okay the rest of the way? Or like, hey, let's, let's figure this thing out here now. We got to maybe make some changes within this depth chart or figure it out or figure out our, our scheme. Maybe. maybe we have something schematically we don't like that we have to adjust. I'd be very curious to see what that means for Tennessee the rest of the way. Is it a game where they have to change their operation? Or, hey, we just kind of get a little fix-up right there, flush it, move on, and they go out and still win nine games the rest of the year. Very, very curious to see what that means. But if that happens, needless to say, that would be that'd be shocking. It'd be shocking, but stranger things have happened. Just ask Appalachian State and Michigan. Ah, oh, man, I hate to say that. Hate that. Hate that, but still. We still love the Big Blue fans, and we're glad that y'all are tuned in. And, uh, yeah, we appreciate y'all. Rolling right along here. At Harry says, Alabama is out of the college football playoff race, wait for it, before the Iron Bowl. So I'm interpreting this as they have two losses before the Iron Bowl because no two-loss team ever made the college football playoff. It's a stat that gets thrown around a lot this time of year. The two losses, though, on their schedule, I don't think are really difficult to find. I mean, it's the SEC it's a gauntlet every single year for Alabama. Oh, by the way, you still play Texas. So you could pick two of any of these. You got Texas, Ole Miss, at Texas A&M, which has not been an easy game for Alabama recently. Tennessee, who beat them last year. LSU, who beat them last year. So you can find two losses on there. Or you can talk yourself into two losses. But what it would mean for Alabama internally and what they're doing schematically is really my bigger question. Because I think it would mean that plan A as a whole for Bama just didn't work offensively. And we've talked about plan A on here. Run the football. Control the line of scrimmage. Make people quit is what Booker was saying for them up front. We want to be able to just impose our will on the opposition. That is plan A. And then off of that, hit some deep shots. Some play action. We'll hit Malik Benson deep. Those safeties are going to commit. Have explosive plays. Quarterback, don't worry too much. We'll find somebody to be able to hand the ball off. Be consistent. Don't turn the ball over. Life is good in Tuscaloosa. If they have two losses, even before they play Auburn, I wonder about what happened on the offensive line. I also wonder about what happened at quarterback. Was somebody playing early in the year that maybe isn't playing toward the second half of the year? Somebody who maybe was turnover prone and had issues. I mean, we've seen with Jalen Milrow, he's had turnover issues historically. I'm not saying he can't be the guy for Alabama and absolutely ball out, lead him to the college football playoff. Heck, I picked Alabama to make the college football playoff. But even so... The turnover bug is really what I would look at very closely should Alabama tote two losses at some point this season. Now, I think it would also be a question mark on what happened defensively. Because Kevin Steele, it's been well documented. They have a ton of ability on that side of the ball. A ton of ability. Now, is it unproven? Sure. But still, since 2019, they've only recruited in the top two every single year. So it's not a matter of do they have talent. It's a matter of can they get the most out of that talent and can they align that talent for success. So the thing, or the theory at least, for Kevin Steele in this defense is it's going to be a little bit more free, a little bit more, hey, play with your instincts, see ball, get ball. We're not overthinking this. We're not making it too complex in the sense that we got to think too hard about our assignment and what happens if we're in this formation or that formation. Like, obviously, they'll have a good strategy in place, but they want to let their ballers ball, which I think is a phenomenal strategy. Now, the caveat to that is, and what could happen if they lose two games, would be, okay, we tried to play a little bit more free, 
And that led to our instincts betraying us in some ways and teams taking advantage of it. Meaning we saw run, we triggered too quickly, they hit us over the top. Or we didn't read our keys correctly, we were just playing instinctually, and we got got. Is kind of what could happen, I guess, if they were to lose two games. Again, I don't think this is going to happen. I want to make that very clear. I want to make sure this is, this is loud and clear. I have Alabama in my college football playoff. But I would look at the defense and what they do assignment-wise and what's going on with the offense versus, you know, what they would like to do offensively in terms of trying to run the football. But the big question is what went wrong internally? What went wrong internally for Alabama? Because if they lost two games this coming season, I would have to I would have to have a question about what was the the wrong thing that happened from an approach standpoint. Going back to talent, I don't question that Alabama. Was it a thing where they're anxious, like Will Anderson was saying last year? Did they not feel like they're the Bama of old? Like, what happened? What, what was the mindset flaw that Bama wasn't able to be Bama? Now, some of this could just be, hey, the SEC is really good. Hey, LSU, they found their, they found their lane. Tennessee did what they did last year. It's tough to stop. Like, there's a lot of excuses you could make, but those are the places I would look first if Texas or Ole Miss or A&M or Tennessee or LSU were to have some version of two losses handed to Bama. So we'll see about that one. But speaking of Texas, Nate Horn just kind of drops the mic here and says, Texas is not back. That is his headline. And I want to kind of get out in front of this because even if Texas wins the Big 12, short of making the college football playoff for a lot of people, even if they make the national title game, if they make the national title game, conversation changes. If they make the college football playoff, conversation changes. But if they do anything short of that, a lot of people are going to probably not say Texas is back. And I think the, the Texas is back conversation is a little bit of a tough game to play. I mean, I've kind of said a couple of times here, is Texas back? Is Texas not back? I think it's just fair to say they're somewhere in the ascent. Feels like they're trending upward with Steve Sarkeesian in year two. I think we should probably just temper that conversation a little bit but my concern wouldn't be if texas is back or not in 2023 because it's going to be very very difficult again short of winning a national title making the college football playoff for people to be fully convinced that texas is back my concern would be if texas takes a step back in 2023 if they go into the season and win eight games again that would feel like a step back this roster is not built to win eight games this roster is built to win double digit and win the big 12 so the concern is what happens when you have a, a situation where you have to talk about, well, is Quinn Ewers coming back for another year? Well, hey, you, you, you let up a, a second half lead. Things like that would be a little bit confusing because that's not what a year three team under Steve Sarkeesian is supposed to look like. There's no excuses right now for Texas. We've talked about it many times. Year three culture, year three head coach, returning starting quarterback with tons of ability, like tons of weapons on the offense. Tons back on the offensive line. There's not really too many excuses to be made right now on the 40 acres. But the people in Austin, they don't want excuses either. They're not looking to make excuses for their team. They believe, as much as we do, this is the year for them to win the Big 12 before they throw up the deuces and get out of there. So that's how they feel. I don't think they're looking to be back. I think they're looking to continue to take steps forward before they get to the SEC. Because whenever they get to the SEC, I say whenever, when they get to the SEC next year, we're going to have the same questions about Texas. People are going to say the exact same thing. Well, are they good enough for the SEC? Well, are they going to be able to do what they did in the Big 12 in the SEC? Well, it's nice they won the Big 12, but you know they got to play Georgia this coming season. How does that look? 
So those conversations will happen. But even so, back, not back. I'm just worried about taking steps back if I'm a Texas fan. Last one for you. Hayden says, Bo Nix wins the Heisman and takes Oregon back to the college football playoff. Yes, Oregon has been to the college football play, uh, playoff. Marcus Mariota and company in the Rose Bowl. He's running around. He wins the Heisman, take down Florida State. They end up losing Ohio State, but they have been to the college football playoff. And to be honest, I want to focus more on the second part of that equation than the first part because I think Bo Nix is going to play well enough to at least be in that Heisman conversation. And when you're at least in the Heisman conversation, more often than not, it comes down to what has your team done. But last year, Bo Nix, he accounted for 40 total touchdowns. He looked like a totally new version of Bo Nix that we didn't get to see consistently at Auburn. And I believe that Bo Nix, based on what he did last year and just getting to a new place, just made for a, a world's difference of confidence for him. Because Auburn, Alabama... I love that fan base. I love that school. I love what they're building right now. But for Bo Nix, with the legacy that he had, with his dad having played there, and for him being thrown in the fire as a true freshman to start for, for Auburn against Oregon on national television, like we saw Bo Nix grow up in front of our eyes. And the stresses and the pressure and the ups and downs that, that puts on a kid at that age, like I have to imagine that's a difficult thing to work with when you're... 18, 19 years old, like Bo Nix was, growing up in the spotlight. So I think getting to Eugene, hitting the reset button, getting in a good system, reunited with Kenny Dillingham, I think that made for a lot of good things last year and built his confidence. Now, new offensive system. Willie Stein's going to be his OC this year. Kenny Dillingham is now gone to ASU. Even so, though, I think, I think Bo Nix will kind of pick up where he left off in 2022, heading into 2023. The question mark, though, for the college football playoff falls back on the defense. Here's probably the recipe to make the college football playoff for Oregon, barring something wildly unforeseen. Either be a one-loss conference champ, and even then you kind of hope and pray that things fall your way, or you just run the table, you go undefeated, conference champ, you're not getting left out. To make the college football playoff for Oregon would mean the defense has arrived. Because last year for Oregon, they, they allowed right around 28 points a game, the linebackers would have to have been better in space. I think also the transfers you got via the portal would have been a huge success. They took four guys in the secondary. They took a five-star plus edge, Jordan Birch from South Carolina. He's now at Oregon. They got him via the portal. Those would have to have hit, and the defense, like I said, would have leveled up quite a bit. The secondary especially. They allowed 270 yards a game last year through the air. That cannot be the way that you get down. Overarching in the Pac-12 if a team gets to the college football playoff from this conference, it will be because the defense leveled up, put their foot in the ground and said, nope, this is not how we're going to end our season. We're going to be the catalyst. We're going to be the reason why we win football games. Because across the board, I mean, Washington, USC, Oregon, all three of those teams have the chops offensively to make the college football playoff. The defense is really going to be the race for them. Now, Utah is another conversation. they got to be able to kind of keep pace offensively with some of these teams. But even so, I think Oregon can very much so have a chance to do that. My big question is the defense. I don't question if Bo Nix is going to be good enough to win the Heisman. I think he absolutely will. So, as usual, y'all delivered tremendous, phenomenal headlines. We appreciate you doing that. Again, if you're not following me yet on Twitter or on Instagram, would encourage you to do so at JD Pakel is the best place to do that. So thank you in advance for y'all contributing to the conversation and being a part of the show. The community that y'all have allowed us to cultivate here has been 
the best part of this entire show. And so, one, thank you. Two, let's keep it rolling now. We are, we are 10 days away from the college football season. We're now three times a week on the air, live and living color, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. We'll have, we'll have content for you on Friday, on Monday. Like, we, we need y'all all to be all locked in with us because it's going to be a thing where it takes all of us. It takes all of us. They say that at the beginning of every single training camp I've been a part of. If we want to get to where we want to go, it's going to take all of us. So subscribe to the channel. If you could like the video, a little thumbs up button under the picture you're seeing right now, it would be tremendous and would be greatly appreciated. Also, we want to hear from y'all. So get in the live chat right now and let me know your thoughts, your concerns, your questions, getting ready for this college football season. In a few minutes here, we're going to go to that and hear from the keeper of the Q Nick break, and we'll get after it and have a good time just kind of unpacking this as a community. Now, before we do that, we got to check in on the top quarterback battles across the country because there is a lot of them, a lot of high-profile institutions with a derby on their hands. And everyone right now, the, the word you hear, the terminology you hear is we're looking for somebody to separate. Looking for somebody to separate from the pack. And Ohio State is no, ex- is no exception there. And I think for Ryan Day and company there, they got Devin Brown and Kyle McCord, two former five stars. So it's a first world problem from the outside looking in. I would be wildly surprised if they don't have a guy heading into the first game of the season. It's a Big Ten game against Indiana. And typically with Ryan Day, this is around the time that they would announce their starting quarterback. Like, we may get off air here and get back on the air tomorrow morning and they would have announced somebody. I don't know. So I think the, 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 the message I'm trying to send, the sentiment is I think they're very close to picking someone. But Ryan Day keeps on saying he wants someone to separate. And typically you would see that happen in a scrimmage. Would not surprise me in the least if the word we hear out of Letterman Row, Spencer Holbrook and the, comp- and, the, and the good boys over there, the company over there, Tim May crushing it over there, Andy Backstrom crushing it over there, if we tune into the intel over there and hear, hey, Kyle McCord had a great scrimmage. And then hours later we hear, oh, Kyle McCord's announced the starting quarterback at Ohio State. I've said before, I think he's the guy for them when it's all said and done, when the dust settles. I also think if it's a tie, like if nobody separates here, if nobody wants to pull ahead and nobody has that defining moment of being the guy at Ohio State, I think the tie goes to Kyle McCord. Been there the longest has a ton of leadership credibility in that locker room, has a ton of trust in that locker room. I said it before, anytime you wait your turn at a place like Ohio State, I think that just breeds admiration for you. I think that that the locker room as a whole is bought into what he's doing. I'm not saying they're not bought into Devin Brown. I'm just saying people know what they're getting in Kyle McCord. And so short of Devin Brown having a phenomenal string of practices and, and putting together an elite scrimmage, I think he's going to be the guy. I don't think we really know how much of a success this quarterback situation is going to be until week four at Notre Dame. That's going to be the first real game for Ohio State where they find out, okay, we got to have a quarterback to go into South Bend and beat the Fighting Irish. We'll see. We'll see if uh, yours truly is actually at that game. We'll find out here as that one gets closer. But that's kind of where things stand right now for Ohio State. I think it's Kyle McCord's job until it's not. But again, we're waiting any day now to get a decision from them. Make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you like the video. We appreciate you in advance for that. Thank you so much. All right, now Alabama. Alabama's a tricky one, man. Alabama's in a situation they haven't had in a short minute here where Bryce Young was the guy last year emphatically. No question about it. Now, you got three cats in the race, but it seems like a little bit between Jalen Milrow, Ty Simpson, and Tyler Buckner, 
the buzz is that Tyler Buckner isn't as much a factor right now in the race. And we talked about this a little bit when he announced he was committing. He didn't get any spring football, which you don't fault Tyler Buckner for. But the reality is it's tough on two fronts. One, it's tough to win over a locker room, which I think is extremely important at Alabama. I'm not saying they don't like Tyler Buckner there. I'm saying to be the guy at a place like Alabama that takes some, you know, some real experience. It takes some real time being in practice with those guys, going through workouts with those guys, and you only have a few months to win over the entire team. I think that's a little bit difficult to do. So we talked about that a little bit with Tyler Buckner. But also, I mean, just getting comfortable in a new place. He knows the offense under Tommy Reese. I think that helps him. I think it makes him a good option for them going forward. But it sounds like just physically isn't quite as much on par with Ty Simpson and Jalen Milrow. So for those two, again, that's how I'm seeing this thing right now. That's how it's being talked about is a two-horse race. We'll see if Tyler Buckner can find a way back into this thing. But Nick Saban says he wants somebody to force the staff to play them. I love that. I mean, that, that is a Sabanism at its finest. He says, be so good during your reps at practice that we have no choice but to play you. And I think he's being honest there. I don't think that is Saban speak and he's trying to hold his cards. I think they're waiting for somebody to walk out in a scrimmage, take control of the offense, and look like the man. So even so, we're not getting a ton out of Tuscaloosa to begin with. And I don't think that's a bad call. I, I think if they go into Middle Tennessee with two quarterbacks, I would not be worried in the slightest of an Alabama fan. I think that actually helps you because then Texas has to game plan for both of them. Like hold your cards as long as you can and keep Texas divided in how they're able to prepare for you. So for Alabama, we'll see what happens there. Again, they're kind of, like I said before, they're waiting for somebody to force them to play them. And it sounds like it's between Ty Simpson and Jalen Milrow. But Keep an eye on Tyler Buckner as this thing wears on. Now, Auburn is also fascinating because remember, they went to the transfer portal. They got Peyton Thorne from Michigan State and Robbie Ashford essentially was like, let's roll, baby. Iron sharpens iron. And I love that response from Robbie Ashford. Holden Gurner, according to people close to Auburn, actually had the best scrimmage, may have had the best day of those three quarterbacks from this past weekend, I guess, in Auburn, Alabama. But if I'm an Auburn fan, I'm glad they're making it hard on the staff. Would you really want Peyton Thorne just to roll in there and take the job by this point in the year? I mean, maybe part of you would be like, okay, that's great. Peyton Thorne took the job. We got our guy. Let's roll now. But keep in mind, Peyton Thorne, similar to Tyler Buckner, did not get spring practice. Also, he did not get a chance to have, like Tyler Buckner had, a situation where he's joining his former offensive coordinator. Like, they're all on... on, even footing here, except for Peyton Thorne having missed those 15 spring practices. So we'll keep an eye on how this thing develops. If I'm an Auburn fan, though, the way I'm reading this, this is encouraging that you have some guys pushing the depth right now. To have Holden Gurner and to have Robbie Ashford, both challenging Peyton Thorne, who I would imagine was brought there to start, who I think eventually will start for Auburn, I think that's a, that's a good sign. So if things kind of go off the rails at some point in time, you have two other guys that have shown things during fall camp at the very least that you can turn to and say, hey, let's find a way to get this done. We got some options now. Let's get back on track. I think Peyton Thorne will figure it out. I think he's going to be the guy for them come game one. I think he was brought there to start. But even so, man, the competition in that room is what would excite me if I'm an Auburn Tiger fan. So Ohio State, Bama, Auburn, keep your ear to the ground here. I think we're very close to the decision from Ohio State. Would not be surprised if this Alabama one went into the season by game two. We didn't get our answer. 
And then for Auburn, I think we'll know before game one, but the competition there is encouraging. So it should be a lot of fun. A lot of fun to keep an eye on there as we roll right along. Uh, for clarification, Alabama having a guy by game two is what I meant there. Not waiting past game two to figure out their quarterback. If you don't have a quarterback by Texas and you're Alabama, maybe the conversation shifts a little bit there. So y'all that are new to this show, thank you so much for being here. This is the point in the show where we turn it over to the keeper of the queue, best producer in the game, Nick, heavy lifter break to break down some of your questions, some of your thoughts, concerns, and some of your takes overall, maybe when it comes to the college football landscape. So without further ado, let's bring on the man, the myth, the legend. Nick, how we doing, baby? What's up, man? It's good to see you. Good to see you, man. Hey, how about this? Back-to-back days. Tuesday, Wednesday, see you tomorrow. It's going to be a good day. Oh, yeah, dude. Good situation we got a going here. trick. Three, three shows a week. I'm excited how about for it, man? JD. How about it? It's going to be fun. It's going to add a little bit of spice to what, to what was pretty a dull day uh, Wednesdays, JD. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to enjoy this for sure. Um, but question-wise, we've got some in here. I'm going to scroll up a little bit. Uh, Callup asks, what if Duke beats Klinsman? Klinsman. Uh, that's an old soccer coach. What if Duke ble- beats Clemson and if and Florida State dominate LSU? I'm sorry. That was kind of a confusing No, question, no, you're JD. good. Yeah, man, if that happens... Yeah. So if so if LSU dominates Florida State or Florida yeah, State. Yeah, let's say LSU. that okay, so week one, Duke beats Clemson, okay. FSU dominates LSU. I think it's more of a hypothetical question, but yeah. JD, where do you see the ACC going from there, I guess? Well, I mean, at that point, if you're Florida State and you dominate LSU, I mean you gotta feel pretty good about the way you stand the rest of the way. And seeing Clemson lose to a team like Duke, I, I don't think that makes Clemson less dangerous. But I think you do have a couple of question marks internally if you're if you're Clemson. And we, we said this, Nick, on a previous live show, like that game at Duke in Durham, in Durham, North Carolina on a Monday, like with a first year starting quarterback and with a new offensive coordinator, new system, like that's not going to be an easy game by any stretch. I think Dabba Sweeney is saying like, hey, we're happy to win that game, whether it's by one or by 51, like we'll take whatever we can get there. So I wouldn't read too much into that Duke Clemson game, depending on how it goes. But if Florida State dominates LSU, that's the one that I really look at and say, whoa, okay. All right, now let's keep an eye on the Knowles here. Let's, let's keep an eye on what they're going to do because if they're dominating them, I would imagine the offense has a pretty good day at the office. And the LSU defense is no slouch. So that, that would, I think, set a very interesting trajectory for that week four clash we're going to get between Clemson and Florida State. But even so, man, you, you got you to be slow on week one to make definitive statements, but it'd be hard to not at least read into that one just a little bit mm. uh, for what it means for the ACC title race. Uh, J.D., Sean Pizzo is playing some uh, hypotheticals. Would a one-loss Bama team beating Georgia in the SEC championship knock the defending champs from the playoffs if teams like USC, Michigan, Ohio State, or Texas are undefeated? So if they are undefeated like that, then yes, it would. Yes, it would. But, I mean, that's asking a lot for Texas and USC and Ohio State to all be undefeated. I think the SEC champ, you just you don't get left out. A one-loss Bama as an SEC champ, I think they're in. But if you have a one-loss second-place team in the SEC and you got all the other teams that are undefeated, like, that would be wildly surprising. But I also think at that point in time, you're like, hey, yeah, that's, that's probably the way that one's going to go. That's probably the situation where two SEC teams will get left out. So, would be surprised if that happened, but in that situation, absolutely. I mean, the, the one-loss SEC second-place team is probably getting left out. Man, wouldn't that be something? And then it expands. <laughs> and that then be, we yeah, go to expansion mode, Nick. How about that, huh? That won't happen in 2024, 2025. At that point, you just run it back. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Rocky Top Tom, always in here asking some good questions. Love in it. your opinion, 
What's the best era of college football? You can't say now because uh, Rocky Top Tom says CFP is now an NFL model. So, mm. J.D., in your opinion, what's the best era of, of the game? That's a really good question. I have a couple of thoughts on this. Before we do that, though, we are 15 shy of our goal. If everyone could hit the thumbs up button under the picture, get us to over 100, we would greatly appreciate it. So I already know you're going to do it. So thank you in advance for doing that. The thumbs up button under the picture. Thank you so much. So to answer that question, I have a couple of thoughts here. One part of me loves the BCS era. I think that was extremely sweet. And I think there were some tremendous memories. And I love the emphasis that put on the regular season. thought that was phenomenal. The other part of me loves the four-team format, Nick. Like, to be able to know that still every single week is going to matter. Maybe not as much as the BCS in terms of your college football national title hopes. But even so, to know that on Selection Sunday, we're going to sit down, we're going to get four teams, and then we'd get the matchups like uh, Ohio State-Alabama. I mean, that was phenomenal before when they played for the national title. So has it made for some lackluster semifinal games at times? Sure, but I do like the whole, hey, we get to settle it on the field, which is usually what the majority of the playoff crowd has been has been clamoring for with expanding the playoff. Hey, settle on the field, settle on the field. Well, they're still settling on the field in the four-team playoff, but it still keeps that emphasis on the Saturdays in the fall. So I would actually lean Nick here towards a four-team playoff being my favorite era, but at the exact same time, that's not to say anything less about the BCS era. I just didn't love the way they handled some things when the computer would pick the team. So that's my feel on it, but it's it's a very fair question. I think you get a lot of different answers. You ask 100 different people. Yeah. Uh, JD, this puts your recruiting hat on because uh, Jack Moreno has asked you. Oh, sorry. A different Jack Moreno question. Sorry. I love it. This is still recruiting, though. Here we go, Jack. Where will Ryan Wingo play college football? Oh, man. So if you want to know the answer to that, you want to be locked in, you should make sure you're subscribed here because the Inside Scoop with Josh Newberg covers all things recruiting all year round gonna keep you in the know so that's one reason to subscribe but man nick it really feels like and i'm I'm not making a pick here i don't have any insider intel i'm not putting down an rpm pick but it really feels like with what missouri did being able to land williams winery you kind of wonder what the ripple effect that's going to be you kind of wonder if maybe another big time prospect sees a five star plus kind of kid commit and say huh i guess i could you know, I guess I could go to Missouri. I guess I could be a part of what they're building there. So that's one to watch. Curious about Texas as well with him and curious about Tennessee. So I'm not making a pick, but the, the school that I'm watching most closely after landing williams Winery is going to be Missouri because they've proven now they are a factor in all these big-time commitments that they're getting from these kids. So I'll, I'll watch Missouri closely here, Nick. Mm-hmm. Thank okay. you as well, y'all, for over 100 likes. That is, uh, that is yep. very big time. So thank you. Yep. Um, well, how about the last question here? Let's do it, brother. Jonathan Butcher with some shot clock cheese gets this in right on time. Is how FSU even ready to be a title contender? Playing in the ACC isn't exactly loaded with playoff contenders like the SEC is. I can't get over the shot clock cheese reference there. <laughs> that was money by you. Wow. That was big time. I'm going to have to reset here a little bit. <laughs> is Florida State a, a real title contender? Yeah. Given the fact they're playing in the ACC. Well, if we look at Florida State, and if they were to make the college football playoff, that means that they probably split Clemson and LSU. Not probably. They would have had to at least split Clemson and LSU, if not win both those games, and then win the ACC. Is the ACC on the same level right now from a depth standpoint as the Big Ten and the SEC? Probably not. Probably not. But even so, there's still some teams here that I think are going to be really fascinating to watch. I mean, Riley Leonard at Duke. 
He's going to be a guy in the NFL, according to NFL draft circles. You don't know about Miami. Drake May is the, the favorite guy in the NFL draft, not named Caleb Williams playing the quarterback position. So I think if, if Florida State were to, again, win the ACC, and if they go undefeated, like I think all your questions about them should be tempered quite a bit. Because, I mean, they're going to be, I think, at least from a talent perspective in that top 10, top 15 range when it's all said and done based on what they did with the portal and how many guys they have on that roster that are going to play on Sunday. So I feel good about them roster-wise, but I just question where they're at psyche-wise, if, if they're ready for all this pressure they have on them right now. So I like Florida State. If they win the ACC, and like I said, if they split Clemson-LSU and maybe even beat Clemson, heck, a second time, or if they beat them one time in the ACC, in the ACC title, I think your reservations about Florida State would have to be put to rest and just realize, okay, they are one of those top four. Let's rock and roll, and let's see what they do in the in the college football playoff. Nick, great stuff, man. I appreciate you, brother. Yeah, man. Appreciate uh, you holding appreciate it down. You. Hey, uh, big this... one tonight. Yeah, big, I, gotta... I didn't want to let you get off the hook here before we talked about that. Big one tonight. Yep, I got a kickball game tonight. It's my last one, or it's the start of the playoffs. It, it may not be my last game, but in, there's all indications that it will be. We are playing an elite team whose name is not appropriate to share okay. on this platform. We love that. Uh, but we're playing tonight, and uh, J.D., we'll, we'll see how it goes. Hey, appreciate you, Nick. We appreciate the censorship there as well, for, uh, as this is a family show. <laughs> yes. And, uh, and I appreciate you just putting your heart and soul out there for the rest of the audience to be able to see what you're going to do here. And we'll talk about it tomorrow morning, man. It's going to be a lot of fun. Appreciate we'll, you, brother. We'll break it down tomorrow, man. I'll see you then. Best of luck. Again, Nick, break. On the chase for 700 for his batting average. He's on the chase right now. He's climbing the mountain. And tonight is a, tonight's a big one for him, to say the least. So he plays every game like it's his last, but he thinks it, it may, in fact, be his last of the season. So we'll break that down tomorrow. Listen, we appreciate y'all tuning into this show. We appreciate y'all being a part of this show. There is no show without y'all. Yes, we have the mic and the camera over here, but this is a college football community, and we're very glad to have you a part of it. If you're not yet following me on Twitter, once we get off air, we're going to drop something there. Going to get you ready for college football season. I'm not going to tell you what it is. It's going to be on my Twitter page as soon as we get off the air here. So I'll, I'll leave y'all with that. But we appreciate y'all. We love y'all. I'm Jody Piquel. We're going to keep this party rolling, and we will see y'all next time.